Looks like some kind of insect. A bee. Bees, Scotty. Killer bees. Are you endowing these bees with human motives? Do you have any idea what those bees can do? The honeybee is vital to the environment. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Welcome to Killer Bees. This is not a Wu-Tang podcast. No, this is a podcast where we profile B-movie and genre film icons. My name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Tori Potenza. Um, we can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at gmail.com. We are on moviejohn.com and part of their podcast network. That's the Philadelphia John, J A W N. Our artwork is by Alex Schneider. Our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner, Pat. And today we are talking about. Uh, truly a legend, uh, maybe not for always the, the best of re- reasons, Oliver Reed. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's maybe the most complicated person we've done. You can say problematic, it's okay. Yeah. We can say that Oliver Reed is a problematic person to yeah. be covering. Yeah, we, we will try to, uh, you know... Be comfortable in discomfort while talking about Oliver Reed. Correct. Yeah, yes. that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to talk about Oliver Reed because truly I love this guy's work. Uh, yeah. You know, we picked him for a reason. We both have really, really loved him in, in some movies. Yeah. Um, and in, in some cases, like the movies themselves are are living up to him and vice versa. Yeah. In other cases, maybe not so much. And yeah. uh, that makes him pretty interesting for the show. For sure. Um, so, yeah. Pretty stoked. Yeah. Um, is there anything you wanted to talk about before we started talking about old Ollie? Um, as I keep calling him. I mean, as far as movies go, I'm we're still mostly watching anime besides stuff we're doing for Killer Bees. Uh we've we've That's gotten true. we've gotten through season three of Attack on Titan. I'm watching Bungo Stray Dogs, which is really fun. Um we did watch one uh, like new movie. We did watch a new movie. That I know we feel very differently about. Feel very differently about. But uh, we watched Malignant, James yes. Wan's new movie. I really like James Wan. I really liked Malignant. You really like James Wan, but didn't like Malignant so much. No, and like uh, what I like about James Wan is that um, as far as like, you know, contemporary directors, he typically, or, or, tip, or contemporary horror directors, yeah. he like typically scares me in his movies. Mm. Like I like both the Conjuring movies I think Insidious is scary and also gets like weird fun housey kind of like this movie does mm-hmm. uh, but I just think that uh, this was pretty unsuccessful in uh, scaring me and uh, making me enjoy what I was watching there's some batshit crazy stuff so the fact that I didn't like this is like you know sucks uh, but this movie did not look good. Uh, that is a weird aspect of it that I am uh, yeah. unsure how I feel about this it. This movie had terrible dialogue <laughs> yeah. and character development. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, just throws a lot of really heavy shit at you and then is like, have fun with that. And you're yeah. like, but I'm not having fun with that. I, I feel like I kind of got the impression pretty quickly. You were like, oh, I'm already like not on board uh, with this yeah, movie. Yeah, and, and it like... It, just, it, it doesn't really do anything yeah. to like 
if it, if you get taken out of it at any point, I don't think it really does anything to like bring you back. Yeah, you know? I was bummed because I was excited about this movie, yeah. uh, and I had heard good things from you know mm-hmm. movie folks that I uh, like and respect, and uh, I was you know not feeling great about not loving this. But I have since talked to many other people, uh, including uh, Misty and Alex at the bookshop today, mm-hmm. who. Did not like that movie either, <laughs> and I'm like, great, I'm glad. It's definitely one of those movies where I, I would never tell anybody, like, you're yeah. wrong about this yeah. movie. I mean, I guess I would never say that about anything, but like, it, you know, very understandable for somebody to be like, yeah. I was not into what that was doing. I had a great time. I thought it was a, a blast. Wild ride. I just had a good time. I like so much uh, bad slash weird slash crazy stuff that I'm like, when I don't like something, I'm like, oh man, like that. That bums me out. Yeah, I wanted I to it. like how crazy that was. I, I just felt like it uh, didn't do a good job at making me enjoy like what it was doing once mm-hmm. it set up all of uh, its its pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's you know there's some weird shit and some uh, things that I uh, did not expect and haven't really seen in some horror movies and so I loved aspects of that. Uh, but. I yeah. would like a I would like a Toonie terror of whatever the the one character's name is that I now can't Gabriel. recall. Gabriel, yeah, I want yeah. I want a Gabriel Toonie terror. Yeah. yeah, uh, maybe little Gabriel when he's got the little arms. <laughs> That's the one that I like. Fair, yeah, <laughs> yes. My friend Janine was like. Oh, but like, didn't you see Gabriel in that one part? And I was like, okay, that was the best Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did like it when he was just a little little yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, super fucking weird movie yeah. i mean you should probably just watch it because i think you... people should check it out yeah. especially if you're like a horror nerd i think there's yeah. plenty there too even if you come out feeling like tori did there's yeah. at least some interesting stuff there <sighs> yeah <laughs> i really liked it i, I had a blast I, I think of the you know that there's definitely an audience for this movie i, yeah. I had a really good time with this movie yeah um, uh, but you know your mileage may vary so <laughs> we got no mileage off of it. All right, let's let's dive into Ollie then. Let's start talking All about right. Ollie Reed. Let let us talk about Oliver Reed. So uh, Oliver Reed has 122 acting credits. That's way uh, more than I thought. In a, a lot of things. Uh, Although, as we discovered, many of them are like uncredited roles early in his career. Yeah, which is uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, and there's like because there's so many roles, there's some that I just didn't. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I glossed over that like didn't really fit into like our you know our goal of B-movie stuff. So I yeah. tried to narrow it down a little bit while talking about, like, hopefully some of the highlights of his career. Um, but, yeah, uh, Oliver Reed's an interesting person, um, and that's why I'm going to start with one of these quotes uh, that says, I'm the biggest star this country has got. Destroy me and you destroy the whole British film industry. <laughs> that is Oliver Reed in a nutshell. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about him, but I think, you know, uh, right up front, it's probably good to just discuss the fact that Oliver Reed is a person who, uh, was definitely a severe alcoholic for, uh, most of his life. Sounds like, um, he was a misogynist, yes. uh, that like uh, vocally outspoken. So outspokenly yeah. saying that he thought women belonged at home to please him when he got home from work. Yes. Uh, there are many quotes like this. Yes. Uh, there's an infamous interview yeah, on TV. Johnny Carson interview. Where like this woman like dumps water in his uh, face. Yeah. What's her name? Winters. Uh, I can't think of her first name. 
Um, yeah. Uh, because he's just saying all of these uh, things. Um, I also saw something that is, I don't know if it's substantiated or not, that like maybe he also had a predilection for young girls. Uh, sure. That so would not surprise me. There's on... there's a lot there. Uh, and, you know, it seems like he had maybe uh, some some difficulties and hurdles in his life that he had to kind of overcome. And maybe that uh, brought us the Oliver Reed yeah, that we know. contributed to the man that he became, yeah. Uh, but he, you know, he is a fascinating actor he's such an interesting presence in movies and he's been in so many different types of genre and b movies that it just felt like someone we needed to talk about yes uh but unlike many of the other people we've talked about on the show it's just right up front like this is like a problematic person who was maybe not a great person either yeah and a person that i think is like pretty easy to laugh at and i probably will as we talk about him throughout the show um, but but to say that like you know I, he was a person with a problem that yeah. uh, desperately needed help he didn't yeah. get uh, and, and that's so sad that's really sad yeah um, so I, I just want to make that clear as we talk about him and and hopefully maybe not make as much light of him as as other people might when they're yes. talking about some of this yeah um, but I probably still will make some light because it is it's pretty funny how he he was a truly absurd person uh, yeah. at, at many points throughout his career yeah. Uh, and like kind of it seems like tried to be entertaining both off and on screen <laughs> yeah yeah uh so there's plenty of like i know garrett you were able to watch more interviews than uh, i, I watched was quite a him. few interviews today and so yeah. maybe i'll try and pepper some of what i learned yeah. uh, of that like throughout the show yeah um so yeah just you know be forewarned about the the human we're talking about yeah a toxic person so i guess we just felt like we needed to throw a little yeah. like almost like content warning on this man's life before yes. we start talking about it yes um, so Oliver Reed was born February 13th, 1938 in Wimbledon, uh, England. Um, he had two brothers, uh, David Reed, who became his business manager, and his half-brother Simon became his press agent, which okay. I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, struggles that Oliver Reed had is the fact that he was dyslexic, and it was something that he uh, dealt with most of his life. Mm-hmm. Um one of the notes I found here said that he went to 13 different schools where his dyslexia was dismissed as poor concentration. Um, so he focused on his physical development, on sports, uh, and he, uh, one sport day, he went home with 11 cups, having won every race he entered. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he seemed to overcompensate for his, uh, you know, learning issues uh with trying to be this like big manly man and uh it's sad because this is also a thing like we just talked about in that uh kelly joe minter episode Mm -hmm. because her character has dyslexia and one thing that he mentions in one of those interviews is that it um especially at that time there weren't that many resources Mm -hmm. but also it's so easy for kids to go through the school system without people realizing this is what they have mm-hmm. and just ignoring it or blaming it on their concentration and other things saying they're not focused enough or not trying hard enough when really like this is an issue. Um, so yeah, this he, is something he dealt with for, for his whole life. He pretty yeah. much said he didn't um, know until he was in the military yeah. and the military was like, look, you like, According to Oliver Reed, they were like, you're like officer material, yeah. but you can't put together a sentence. Yeah. Like, we need, if you can't write a, a coherent thought, like, we can't actually have you be an officer, yeah. basically. Um, and I, that was when he sort of, I think, kind of like truly maybe came to terms with mm-hmm. and started to try and deal with it. 
but he mentioned that it became a difficulty in his career mm-hmm. you know like you have to memorize dialogue yeah. for things and if he can't read the dialogue you can't memorize it so like going into auditions he was like sometimes you don't get that ahead of time and so they hand you it and i would have to just ask that they polite me give me a half hour with the material mm. so that i could sit and do my best to he was like but i'm good at that i can memorize he was like but i have to sit and i have to read it out loud to myself i have to work through yeah. it and then i memorize it and i can come in and i can do it yeah um and uh you know and i also heard him in another interview flippantly say he doesn't read scripts but then when you find out about his dyslexia and stuff it's like well, that is maybe not as much of a bloated ego thing as you are making it out to be when yeah. you're flippantly saying, like, I don't read scripts. Yeah. It's maybe like you, a thing that you str- you literally struggle to read them. Yeah. Um, uh, he mentioned that, like, uh, signing autographs for fans. He yeah, knows, I thought that was so interesting. He knows the shape of his own name. Yeah. He knows shapes is how he said it. He knows yeah. the shape of his own name. But if you say, my name's Adam, which mm-hmm. is a four-letter word, two of those letters the same, he, you have to spell it for him. He, he, how do you spell that? Yeah, because he needs he just has to have somebody say it out loud in order to be able to, to do it right. Yeah, in front of him. which is something I didn't really think about. And yeah. that is so interesting. And so it's like the daily embarrassment then. Right. Yeah. Of like this thing constantly. So, you know, uh, it is interesting that there is this what I would consider like a trauma from his childhood yeah. that that certainly seems to be a pretty co- large contributing factor to like yeah. the man that he becomes. Well, and then one of the other things uh, is that Oliver Reed uh, was someone who never had um like acting training or stage experience right um despite the fact that this was interesting um his grandfather founded the royal academy of dramatic arts and his uncle carol had directed the third man oh yeah which Um, you and i have talked about quite a bit yeah yeah great movie Mm -hmm. um but, uh, you know, he he shunned formal training for drama school and instead, you know, hung out at pubs, played darts, got into fights. Yeah. And I but I also wonder how much of that, too, is like, oh, well, if I go to this formal school and get this training, then I do have to be reading scripts yeah. and doing all this stuff that is hard for me. So I, I would of? I would rather just like not try yeah uh which you know is is definitely a reaction that people have to that Mm because they just know that it's going to be hard and people aren't necessarily going to understand my struggle yeah yeah uh, which is you know kind of sad yeah Um, and you know it seems to force him into this position of feeling like he has to always prove himself in some way yeah uh that seems to turn him into this like egomaniac of some kind right for sure um, his first job at the age of 17 was a bouncer at a Soho nightclub. Um, he once described his purpose in life uh, as, quote, shafting the girlies and downing the Sherbies. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Just an insane thing to say. Um, he was married twice. He had two kids and he was with his wife, uh, Josephine Burge, uh, from 1985 until his death in 1999. Um yeah. So yeah, that's uh that's a little bit about Ollie Reed. Um Ollie Reed. he he begins his acting career in the 50s. Uh for TV, he was in things like Golden Spur and The Invisible Man TV show. Okay, I need to say that I did not know there was a TV show. We'll need to be watching There's that. There's so as much soon of this stuff it. that I didn't realize existed. They must have turned like everything into TV shows. <laughs> yeah. It's so cuz there's another one we'll talk about in the 60s. Okay. Um his first film was an uncredited role in uh, 1955, a film called Value for Money, which was a romantic comedy. Okay. Um, and then in 58, he was in The Square Peg, a war mm-hmm. comedy where he was also uncredited. 
as well as an uncredited role in Upstairs Downstairs, a, another comedy. It's interesting. Um, so, yeah, very early on in his career, kept getting these uncredited roles, which now that we're talking about it, I wonder if, like, they either didn't have many lines or any lines at all, and maybe that is, like, was just easier, and they were like, oh, we like this guy, but he didn't, like, he didn't audition and read lines, so we'll just give him these, like, background roles. And I get the impression, like, the age in which he's coming up through the British film system, mm-hmm. they have studios, like Hammer and stuff, that yeah. I think are doing the kind of contracts we've talked about before. Yeah. It's entirely possible he's, like, a player for, yeah, like, yeah. you know, a studio and just ends up True. in background in, like, a bunch of stuff for his early career. Yeah. Um. So then we get to his career in the 60s. Uh, he was on... TV shows like The Saint and The Third Man TV show. Very interesting. Again, so weird that they made The Third Man into a TV show. <laughs> that is show. weird. But also interesting that like he has a family connection to that, too, and then yes, ends up on the show. for sure. Um, in 1960, he was in The Angry Silence, starring Richard Attenborough. The Angry Silence. It's yep. a good title. Uh, he has an uncredited role in The League of Gentlemen. And he plays a nightclub bouncer in The Two Faces of Dr. Jackal with Christopher Lee. And that was a uh, a Hammer production. All right. So this um, is beginning his work yes. with Hammer, which ends up being like a pretty significant part of his career for a few years. For sure. That's cool. Uh, and then he does a Sword of Sherwood Forest, another uncredited role. Uh, but it has Peter Cushing playing the Sheriff of Nottingham. Oh boy, I love which the Cush. Very into. Yeah, we're really into the Cush in this house. We we really are. Um, and then in 1961, he gets his first leading role in Curse of the Werewolf, uh, which is another Hammer horror film. It oh, is yeah. the only werewolf movie made by Hammer, which I just thought was a really interesting uh, note there. It is, because they did so many of those like universal riffs, especially yeah. Dracula and Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, it, I, it never even occurred to me that they didn't really make any Wolfman movies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we watched Curse of the Werewolf. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, he makes is, for a great leading man. Yeah, he he does, and this is like him kind of at his prime. Oh yeah, young. Yeah. He's got that you know his famous barrel chest, and he's like uh, very strapping. Mm-hmm. I commented that he kind of, I don't know, he comes off as like a, um, uh, gosh, now I can't think of his name. Um, uh, you know, Captain Kirk. Um, oh, uh, William Shatner. Yeah, young. You know, he reminds me of like a British Shatner almost. He's yes. this kind of. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. This like he has this kind of tough guy persona, but he's very charming, very square jawed. He's pretty good looking, but you know, not like classic Hollywood handsome necessarily. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, right away, first starring role, playing a guy that seems to have a drinking problem and doing the whole werewolf is a, a, a you know a metaphor for for drinking. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that's a good point. Right, isn't there? Yeah. There's quite a bit of drinking in this. Maybe not a problem, but there, there's quite well, a bit of drinking he, in this movie. He only gets, like, kind of drunk once, I think, at a bar. Okay. Um, but he uh, works at, like, a yes, wine right. bottling yes. place. That's, like, the the first job that he gets. Um, yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's interesting, too, because it's his first leading role, but he doesn't show up until, like, the, like, I don't know, after half hour, yeah, 40 right. minutes into it. There's quite a bit of, like, lead up to him entering the movie. Yeah, because it's, like, his, it's about his character growing up. Because, like, it's also an interesting story because it's, like, a child that was born a werewolf, essentially, yeah. uh, through, like, 
some weird the circumstances. circumstances. Are very they almost go through like three generations of storytelling before we even get to him. It's really strange. It's very strange. Um, but yeah, definitely adds to vamp to werewolf lore in an interesting way that I hadn't really heard of before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's really good in it. It's, it's kind of a sad, tragic movie yeah. ultimately, which I guess, you know, like comparably like the Wolfman is like also kind of mm-hmm. tragic too. Um, but yeah, it's like, he doesn't, uh, get to have like a ton of fun in this role, you know, he's right. like part serious leading romantic man and part like werewolf creature. Yes, yes. Uh, but the makeup effects at the end are like pretty wild looking. Yeah. It, it doesn't have a great transformation scene, which yeah. is maybe something that hurts it more than anything else, but, yeah. but does have good actual makeup. Like once you get mm-hmm. him in as a wolf, he, the makeup's good. Um, yeah, I, I have a, I know people love hammer movies and there are a few that I've seen that I've really liked, but in general, I find them kind of sleepy. And this mm-hmm. one kind of was, was sleepy. I thought, yeah, I think it's because a lot of them are period pieces, yeah. and that's not totally it's not your totally bag. not totally my bag, man. Uh, but counts as Dracula. Pretty great. That movie fucking rules. Pretty great. I even liked Dracula. Was it 72 AD or Yeah, because it called? took place in the 70s. Disco Drac, baby! Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's other Hammer you, there is. you there, will We'll like. talk about another one uh, in, a, in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, in 1962, he was in The Pirates of Blood River with Christopher Lee. A group of ruthless pirates attack a 17th century, uh, settlement on the Isle of Devon in search of treasure that will stop at, and they will stop at nothing to obtain it. All right. Okay. Pirate movie. Uh, and then he's in Night Creatures with Peter Cushing, which we watched. It's also known as Captain Clegg. Yes. Uh, and I like thoroughly enjoyed this movie. This one I really liked. I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, It's about this, like, little town that is essentially, like, a front for, like, a smuggling operation. It's, like, pretty wild. Well, what I love most about it is not just that it's a town, it's a church. And and the church... Well, that's a part of it, yeah. The church is basically, like, a distillery, like a secret distillery. Yeah. And they are kind of... They seem to kind of be funding like charity through their distillery is what is implied anyway. Well, so it's hard to tell like where it is because they have all these like tunnels that connect like all of these different businesses together and that they're all kind of in on this. So it connects to the, um, the funeral parlor and the church and the, uh, the bar uh, in town or the pub in town. So it has like all of these like underground railroad esque like these, entrances like, into yeah. buildings, which is so interesting and connects all these people. And yeah, like then all of these uh, sailors come into town to try to like figure out what's going on. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of interesting elements to it because there's like this was the spot that Captain Clegg, this like revered and feared pirate, uh, had hung had been hanged yeah uh there are these nighttime bog creatures yeah, that are, they, are like haunting the like town swamp phantoms or something like I that think swamp marsh, phantoms. marsh marsh the, phantoms yeah marsh phantoms yeah uh and they're awesome they're very cool looking they have like this they're like they're skeletons there's people in like sweatsuits that have skeletons painted on them but like yeah. sometimes they glow kind of neon and it, it actually looks but really the horses neat. have the paint yeah. too so they all like the horse looks like a skeleton yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like a ton of interesting elements to this movie and eventually you find out how all of them connect, but, um, yeah, like Peter Cushing is the pastor. He's the pastor who's like kind of a stand-up comedian. Yeah, he's so funny. 
like he, he at some point he makes mention that like look we are doing this because we're we're doing like community outreach yeah. with the money but like also we're a church that's straight up running yeah. a distillery out of the basement yeah. of this church and then oliver reed is like is one of the people that is like helping with this operation yeah. and he's in love with like the barmaid mm-hmm. and wants to like run off with her um so there's yeah there's like a lot of interesting uh elements to this and he's like pretty fun in it it's yeah. like night it's cool watching him and uh cushing together totally and cushing is so fucking fun in this movie and cushing's like kind of like a a weird father figure yeah. to him and this girl which is really interesting too and uh yeah it's it's got like uh a lot of interesting moving parts that and, like, i really enjoyed maybe it was like an inspiration for carpenter's the fog well that, yeah that was the other thing too when i first uh there when I first read what this movie was about, it said something about like, you know, pirate town, ghost phantoms. And I was like, all of that sounds like the fog shit. And when you watch it, I would say like, it does kind of, I mean, it does feel yeah. like the fog in some like basic yeah. strokes, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. Cool. I, I liked this movie a lot. Big, big recommendation for me. Captain yeah, Plague. Really fun. Or Night Creatures, whatever it's called. Uh, he is then in a movie called The Damned about an American tourist, uh, a youth gang leader, and his troubled sister find themselves trapped in a top secret government facility experimenting on children. Okay. Um, and then I have this note here just because, like, this will be a thing that affects him um, with the rest of his career. In 1963, Oliver Reed got 36 stitches uh, to repair cuts on his face after a bar fight. Uh, the incident left him with a permanent scar which he initially feared would put an end to his screen career yeah um, so which is a prominent part of his face following yeah, this it you, is something you notice yeah yep um but uh you know maybe maybe gives a little uh, you know some lived yeah. in grizzled charm to his face as well yeah because this is also like you know in both of these movies he is kind of supposed to be a romantic yeah. lead on top of other things so it's it is interesting because i think that's also something he liked playing is sure. this romantic lead he sees himself as like the you know the hooper bench like he sees himself yeah. as like it's the true. ultimate good great man yeah. you know well and i think it's interesting because one of the things i read was that like ultimately once he stopped getting those parts offered to him which could be because of you know just what a bear he was on sets uh or like how drinking really aged him really fast it's like there's like plenty of reasons but like he was upset when he stopped getting offered these romantic leads yeah i mean one of the stories about him is that he apparently by the end of his career was like famously impossible to ensure because the stories were so widespread about like how bad he was like his behavior was yeah um, in 1963, he was in a film called Paranoiac, which I uh, was pretty interested in seeing. It's about a man who, uh, a man long believed dead returns to a family estate to claim his inheritance. Okay. It has kind of like a, a gothic horror feel to it. That sounds cool. Um, he is then in a historical drama called The Crimson Black Blade. And uh, in 1964, he was in a drama called The Girl Getters, which yeah. I had to add on here just because of the title alone. I'm sure that's why he signed on to the movie. Yep. He's like, am I one of the girl getters? Yeah. Uh, in 1966, he's in a f- movie called The Trap about a fur trapper who takes a mute girl as his unwilling wife to live with him in his remote cabin in the woods. I love how much this pro- plot description in particular excites you. Like three different times, you're like, this movie sounds cool, right? 
Well, it's like a crazy, yeah. like also very him premise <laughs> yes. where it's like, oh, a fur trapper just takes a woman yeah. as his wife. And it's like, I don't care if you want this. He's like, I don't read scripts. Tell me what it's about. Yeah, yeah. I did that on Thursday. I'll come be in your movie. Yeah, he's like, no problem. Yeah. Uh, in 1967, he was in a movie called The Shuttered Room. A series of horrific murders is traced to a creature that inhabits a very strange house. Well, I like that. That sounds cool. Me too. Um, he's then in, I'll never forget what's, what's the name? What's his name? What's his name? Uh, with Orson Welles, uh, which just thinking of those two together I, is interesting as well. I know. I genuinely like when I saw that they were in a movie together, I was like, I don't know if I want to watch that. That might just make me sad to watch those two guys in a movie together. Um, and then in 1968, he claims this is one of his, uh, big breakthrough roles, um, he was in Oliver. He played Bill Sykes, which I'm pretty sure I have seen this Oliver like in school. Yeah. Um, Cause I remember we did a whole big thing on Oliver. Um, and actually this was directed by Carol Reed, his uncle. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so the quote from him is that this became his big role because he quote, came out of the same cock as <laughs> the director. Uh huh. Yep. I'm like, okay, Oliver. Uh huh. Uh, look, um, this reminds me of a detail that I'm just going to say now because I'm thinking of it now. Did you know that he had a tattoo on his penis? I mean, of course he did. He talked about it in like multiple interviews that he had a tattoo on his penis. That's wild. That is insane to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from what I remember of Bill Sykes just as a character, it's like feels again very much like an Oliver Reed totally. character, yes. which is really funny and ma- yeah, like makes total sense that this is a role that one he would want to do, and two is like, yeah, I totally get this guy. <laughs> like, sure, I'll play this. Uh-huh. Um, and then in 1969, he was in a romantic drama called Women in Love, which was directed by Ken Russell. Oh, okay. So this is great because this starts like a, a pretty significant relationship in his career. Mm-hmm. He ends up making like, I think, five or six movies with Ken Russell. I think it's like, I only remember three. I, but uh, Okay. I'm just quoting him in an interview. I, I, gotcha. I heard him in today where he okay. was like, he's my favorite director. I've made like five movies with him. I mean, we've talked about Ken Russell a yeah. couple times now. Um, we talked, I mean, Anthony Perkins had like a somewhat yep. close relationship with him too. So it is interesting just the actors that seem to gravitate ter- uh, towards Ken Russell. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's just such a weirdo. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like very into it. Um. So, yeah, then we get to his career in the 70s. Um, in 1970, he was in the movie The Lady in the Car with Glasses and a Gun, starring uh, Sa- Samantha Eggers, who he was in another movie with that we will talk about later. Yes. Um, uh, so I have heard good things about this movie. I, I think, um, um, what's that called? The Pure Cinema Podcast has talked about this before and has said it's pretty good, I, but it's hard to find. I was kind of interested in seeing it. Also, like, the tagline was, her first mistake was getting into the car. <laughs> like, oh, okay. All righty. Uh, in 1971, he was in a movie called The Hunting Party. A ruthless rancher and his gang use extremely long range rifles to kill the men who kidnapped his infidel wife. That's a very specific and strange plot description. I know. Um, and then in 1971, he was in The Devils. Oh, yes. Ken Russell again. we watched for the first time when it was on Shudder. Yes. Uh, we, like, made sure to watch it, like, I think the last day, the it, day was that it was on Shudder. The day that it was on Shudder, yeah. Um, 
holy shit i what a fantastic movie love this movie i would really love to see the like unedited uncut whatever version because there are a couple scenes that i have read about Mm -hmm. that i would love to actually see like this Mm -hmm. movie is batshit crazy enough Mm -hmm. as is but there are some additional scenes that i just think uh I get why, like, this has, like, such a reputation, but, like, it's so much about sexual repression that, like, I really do want, like, some of these grosser scenes to be in the movie because I think they are so perfect at, like, describing this because it is about, like, this, I mean, it's during, like, um, uh, like, the the dark ages Mm -hmm. and there's they're dealing with like the plague Mm -hmm. witch hunts like all of this stuff is going on and there's this nun who has like a a hunchback um and she becomes obsessed with uh oliver reed's character who is this holy man and she keeps having these like very erotic visions of him as like sexy jesus with like the thorn crown on his head and everything and it's it's this is so funny because like these like fantasy scenes are straight up hilarious because he is supposed to be such a such a sex pot oh he's definitely everyone wants to fuck this guy he's meant to be like a sex god yeah 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 uh it's amazing but the, the thing that is so interesting about the movie too is that like there is like it is very sensational in the way yes. that you were describing. Um, but there is also some layers there of like, it doesn't even seem like this guy is like necessarily, remember we were talking about this where it's like, it doesn't even seem like he's like a bad guy. He seems to be struggling with some of this himself and is like yeah. uh, still maybe trying to help his congregation. So is it, there's just a pretty interesting thing going on in this movie, especially when you're watching it during a plague and it's like about a plague. And well, it's like about how like people with power can take advantage of the chaos that yeah. comes with, a situation like that well and i in particular am like so interested in the the witch hunts just as like a as something that has happened throughout like different periods of of history but it's it's interesting like the stuff that people did get like accused of Mm -hmm. when like oliver reese character was also doing some like shady like you know ungodly stuff like he's like I'm pretty sure at the beginning he's like fucking this really young girl and like there's stuff that he's doing that you're like is this is bad this is unsavory and that is not the stuff that he eventually gets like accused for and eventually executed for that's right we we weren't talking Um, about him being a good guy it's just that like the things that he does get accused of and taken down for are not even the actual bad things that he's doing well I think he also is like somewhat loved by the people and is maybe trying to do some good things for them but like that also causes him to be a threat to these this like higher yes, yes. like regime and so then they need to get rid of him yeah. not because like of the actual bad things yes, he is doing yes. it is like these made up accusations yes. they make which happens to, to plenty power. of plenty of people throughout yeah. the witch hunts oh, yeah. mostly women but there were plenty of men it yeah. happened to too his challenge to power is actually yeah. the, the thing yeah yeah um but yeah the there's like a fucking orgy scene that happens inside the church it's wild i love this movie i think i i really love movies about sexually repressed people and yeah. just how that can destroy a whole fucking world it's i mean it's like wild. an apocalyptic movie in yeah. that sense right yeah uh, and it is you know the repression that undoes this small yes, community or whatever sure. which is really cool it's also like a lavishly designed movie the sets are really fucking incredible and like 
It's just like a beautiful movie in a lot of ways. He has this really good quote about uh, the movie because this is one of like his favorite movies that he worked on, which makes total sense. He to said me. Ken Russell was his favorite director when yeah. I, in one of his interviews. He said, "You would think from the critics' hostility that Ken Russell had tried to pull off some obscene hoax. On the contrary, the film is, I think, an utterly serious attempt to understand the nature of religious and political persecution. It is not in any way exaggerated. If anything, the horrors perpetrated in Luden in the 17th century were worse than Russell has chosen to show. The character of the priest has a marvelous one to act. Uh, Ken Russell's brother-in-law is a historian and he helped me research Grandier's life with particular reference to his uh, thesis on celibacy. Um, the, the people of Luden loved him. He walked uh, among the plague, vi plague victims and comforted them. I started to play him as a priest and realized that he was a politician. That's a really interesting, that final little yes. button he puts on it there is like yeah. a very interesting, that's, I mean, that is the job of that. That is like smart acting is to like get that far in your character to realize like, oh, this is actually what's going on with this guy. Yeah. Uh, and works so well. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you can find a way to, find this movie please do yeah it's difficult to get your hands on if when it's not streaming somehow find this uncut version oh, yeah if you have the unedited version email us up. yeah um, we've seen some of the scenes on YouTube, but yeah. you can't really find everything. I'm I'm truly hoping with all of the attention it's gotten just of late, with it being on Shutter and whatnot, that it <laughs> with is... it being in Space Jam, a new legacy. <laughs> oh yeah, um, but I am hoping that like this may lead to like a uh, like a 4K release or God, something. God, I would love it. Yeah, yeah. I would love to own this movie. Yeah, because the other thing is like even the version that was on Shutter is this weird like postage stamp version. It's mm -hmm. like formatted very bizarrely so that it only takes up like half of your tv yeah. screen it's like very difficult to see this movie in a nice crisp yeah picture i have faith in the amazing uh film film distribution companies I out there so. that we love that will get this someday um this film was not only banned in Italy, but the government of that country threatened the actors Vanessa Redgrave and Oliver Reed to condemn them to three years in prison if they stepped on their territory. That is incredible. Uh, also, apparently he and Redgrave did not get along because she was like a, a smart, uh, educated, like intellectual woman that didn't care for his bullshit. Because oh, she was a, a living, breathing woman and was yes. like, this guy hates living, breathing yeah. women. Um, in 1972, he was in a movie called ZPG, uh, concerned with population overgrowth. The earth government bans under the penalty of death, all pregnancies, but one couple decides to risk having a real baby rather than legally adopting a cyborg <laughs> child, I, which is a fucking weird premise. I tried to, by the way, I believe that literally stands for zero population growth. Oh, um, interesting. I tried to find this movie. This movie is kind of hard to get your hands on right now, mm -hmm. and uh, I did want to watch it. Yeah. Um, he is also in a movie called Sitting Target with Ian McShane. Uh, this is another movie that had like a really funny, like, uh, just on the poster, it said, in all caps, you are looking at an animal. A woman is his target. No cage can hold his lust for revenge. <laughs> so great. Also, I saw a still of him and Ian McShane together, and I also didn't realize that uh, Ian McShane was kind of a smoke show when he was young. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's then in a movie called The Triple Echo. Uh, deserting soldier uh, dresses as a woman to 
escape detection. Uh, liking the female role, he goes to a dance with another soldier and is exposed. Does he play that character? I can't imagine. Like on one, I hand, don't think he does. Okay, I was gonna say on one hand, I can't imagine him being like, yeah, I'll play yeah. a guy that likes being a lady, you know. Um, and then on the other hand, like he does enough goofy stuff throughout his career that I, I'm not not sure any longer. Yeah. Um, he, in 1973, does a movie called Dirty Weekend, which he has a really epic mustache. And, oh, yeah. This uh, is mustache part of his career, which is a great part yeah. of his career. Because then he's in a, a crime drama called Revolver, uh, which, was that the Italian one? I think it's an Italian yeah. crime movie. Yeah. Which I really want to see. And I think it's like available on Prime or somewhere right yeah. now. If people want to check it out. Um, and then he is in The Three Musketeers with uh, Michael York and Christopher Lee. Yes. Um, Which, so he was in three of these movies. Yeah, I, I have seen at least one of the yeah. ones that he's in. I feel like these used to play on TV. Mm-hmm. I can picture him in this role. Yeah, I haven't seen these. Um, but this this was another movie where he got really injured. He was se- severely injured and almost died during the filming of this uh, because he was stabbed in the throat during the Jesus windmill duel Christ. scene. Wild. That's insane. Yeah, uh, totally crazy. Um, then in 1974, he was in Ten Little Indians with Orson Welles and Richard Attenborough. So it's which, interesting. He ends up working with both of those yeah. guys again. Uh, and that is the uh, adaptation of Agatha Christie's book, which I. And then there were none. Is that what the book is actually called? Well, because the movie is called Ten that Little as well, Indians right? was also its old name, okay. but it has since been changed because that is not a great name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, uh, and then there were none is like one of the other names okay. that it it goes by. Um, and then he's in uh, another. Musketeers movie, The Four Musketeers, Milady's Revenge. Milady's Revenge, what a great title. Uh, I didn't realize how many of these movies there were. Yeah, there was like maybe four in that series or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he was he's in a movie called Blue Blood. An unusually nasty butler takes over the possessions of his uh, master by means of witchcraft. Okay. Which seems, this was one I was kind of interested in seeing. Um. In 1975, he was in the movie Tommy. I've never seen Tommy. I have never seen. I would like to. I think Ken Russell made that as well. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That would be a Ken Russell movie. Yeah, I I think he directed that. Uh, He was in a historical comedy called Royal Flash. Um, And then he does Listomania with director Ken Russell. But I believe he has a uncredited role in that one. Oh, interesting. Okay. So maybe a small role. Yeah. Yeah, because we almost watched that, but we were trying to really focus on, like, you know, more significant roles. Yeah. Uh, and then in 1976, he was in Burnt Offerings with Karen Black. Hell yeah, uh, he was. We also love. Like this movie a lot. Yeah, I I, I just really like, I think, uh, haunted house movies. Yeah. Um, I think they really work for me. And this is also an interesting version of that where, like, it's not like there are ghosts in the house. It's like the house itself is like a like yeah, a demon or something. Yeah, it's like kind of a possession movie. Like Karen Black is like kind of being lulled into this like kind of like taking on this role of like the woman of the house. Yeah, almost like a shining thing actually now that we're talking kind about of, it, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, cuz it's like this family and they're like a young kid and they're kind of losing their shit. Yeah, and and the, and the house like wants one of them for like its own purpose, like serve yes. some role within the house. Yeah, 
uh, yeah, and eventually, like they they kind of cannot escape said house, and yeah. they are they are stuck there. Yes. Although they think it's like this perfect, I think it's like their like summer vacation place yeah, it's like or a whatever. Be- big beautiful home. Yeah. yeah. Um. I yeah, I love this movie. It's really he's really good. Nick Karen Black is really good in yes. it. Um, it's like two like big genre heavyweights in a movie together, and they're both like yeah. It's so fun to watch these two kind of famously crazy actors like acting opposite each other you know what i mean yes i uh i think i can't remember i think maybe meredith burgess is like in the beginning of I th- this yes movie yes i think too. you're right yep. um so yeah it's got, just got like such an interesting uh cast of characters yeah i did not remember i was like watching scenes from this today to try and remind myself and uh i watched the finale of this movie and forgot how truly fucking nuts it is i know i wanted to watch some clips uh and i i kind of got sidetracked with some other stuff today but uh, if people have not seen burn offerings it comes with like our yeah. highest recommendation i think we have it we do yes yeah, yeah. cool um in 1977 he was in the movie assault in paradise uh native american travels around a resort town murdering cops and rich people with a high powered crossbow while demanding that the town's richest residents pay him money to stop the killing Okay. Um, I also put this down just because I think he is playing the Native American character, which uh, this is a thing that happens when someone is like is? somewhat like tanned <laughs> that they get these roles as like playing Hispanic roles or Native American roles because this is a thing that happened with John Saxon. Um, and I just think that's really strange. That's insane. Yeah. Very strange. Uh, but also, you know, we have watched a lot of Hammer movies, and Hammer loves grease paint, so yeah, yeah, uh, I yeah. guess I am not too shocked by that. <laughs> in 1978, he's in the movie Tomorrow Never Comes. Uh, Frank discovers his girlfriend's affections are being bought by another man. Tensions rise, and he holds her hostage. Will he give himself up? Okay, that sounds this, cool. Yeah, this is another. There's also so many of these movies where he's like getting revenge on women, and I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's then in The Big Sleep, uh, starring Robert Mitchum. Uh, I would really which, like to see this movie. Yeah, I'm kind of interested is in uh, Mitchum playing this. Uh, I forget the character's name in the Chandler novels. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to remember it now either. Philip Marlowe? Is it that character? Philip Marlowe, yes. That's it. Yeah, I watched one of the other ones, Kiss Me Deadly or whatever, and it was pretty good. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, And then in 1979, he is in David Cronenberg's The Brood with Samantha Eggers. Ah, yes. Holy shit. I love this movie so much. I mean, I'm such a huge Cronenberg person anyway, um, but his performance in this is really good. He plays the like lead doctor that's like working at the psychiatric hospital that I think her name is Nola, uh, the wife Samantha Eggers plays, um, is staying at and trying to like work through all of this like emotional trauma that she's had throughout her life. And so he like kind of has this like cult leader vibe that like was also a big thing in the seventies, like with, uh, like new, um, new got, age, like psychiatric definitely care. Got yeah. new age vibes to it, right? Yeah. I think that's the thing that I think Cronenberg is trying to illustrate. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's like him wearing like a really short robe. It yeah. is like very vivid in my mind, like his hairy chest kind yes. of like bearing out too, um, which is really funny. But yeah, he's he's really good in this role, just kind of as this 
like somewhat scary psychiatrist because you don't really know if he has people's best interests in mind with all of the things that are going going on in this so. i agree i mean i think this is i may have seen him in other movies before this but this is the movie that i know oliver reed from you know what i mean like even if i had seen him in other stuff before this is when he becomes like a figure for me and i'm like yeah. who the fuck is this guy well because um, part of the therapy is that he like is taking on the role of like abusive parents and yeah. stuff so you see him acting with these other people like talking down to them yeah. and like degrading them in these different ways. And that's like one of the opening scenes is he's doing it on stage with this other guy. And you're just like, what the fuck am I watching? This is wild. And Cronenberg shoots him in those like really intense close-ups throughout those scenes too. Like yeah. you can really picture his face like fully in the frame, you know? Yeah. Um, he's so terrific in this movie and it, it just, this is what I always think of when I think of Oliver Reed is, is this particular performance. Yeah, for um, sure. It's something about the way Cronenberg shoots and frames him. It's also something yeah. about the way his own, you know, I, I think just, I think a lot of his own struggles and personality like come through in this performance in both good and bad ways. Yeah. And, and I don't know, there's something really striking about him in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, this is one of my favorites. I wrote about this pretty early on in my Cronenberg on sex and gender um, series that I've been doing, um, which is still on Cinema 76 as of right now, but I've also imported all of those to uh, my blog as well, if you would like to read my Yeah, which my I highly this. recommend. Tori, these are like some of my favorite things that Tori writes. Yeah. Um, and this is another movie where he got in some big trouble. He yeah. was arrested for walking in public without clothes and for fighting in a bar just after uh, filming some of these things, too. So uh, I want to say that one of the interviews I found was an interview where he's like literally on the street, I suppose, just like maybe outside his own home. Yeah. And the guy is asking him, like, so you were arrested. And he's kind of like snickering his way through explaining like yeah, yeah well i was out i went to this bar and it might have turned out i thought i was wearing my swim trunks but i i was just wearing my underwear <laughs> like god <laughs> crazy man yeah he was uh, a really crazy guy uh all right and then we get to his career in the 80s uh so in 1980 he is in a canon film called uh -huh. dr heckle and mr hype which we watched. We sure did watch it. Uh, I like don't even know. Well, let's let's read the plot description here. An ugly, misshapen podiatrist ingests a formula made by a colleague and turns into a handsome, devil may care but violent ladies man. Uh, this is like a zany comedy. Yeah. From the writer and director, I believe, of Little Shop of Horrors, the original one with I Nicholson. I think he's just the writer, but yeah. I think he directed that movie as well. Oh, he really? only wrote this one, but I believe he also directed gotcha. that movie. Gotcha. I think. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like a zany comedy that is a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde riff mm -hmm. um, where Oliver Reed kind of plays Oliver Reed, but is like. Like as he's like zany in it. It's like a really weird. I don't understand yeah. why they cast him for this. He's doing a voice when he plays. Yeah, he's doing the this kind of almost like James Cagney voice when he's playing the Doctor. Which is uh, we've realized uh, he likes just doing voices even in interviews. He yeah. just starts talking in other voices, and he, you're like, oh, okay. He clearly doesn't like being interviewed. Is my take on what I saw when I was watching yeah. interviews today, or or is combated 
combative in interviews generally yeah. and one of the things he seems to like to do is do voices at people instead of just speaking as Oliver Reed uh, like to diffuse says, I th- yeah. oh that's such an int- yeah like I guess that does make sense yeah. and I could totally see him being someone that doesn't want to be interviewed because yeah. I feel like the ones we watched it's like they inevitably talk about something he is not comfortable talking about he's just generally combat one of the interviews I was watching he's fucking doing push-ups on the table in front of the interviewer and then runs and dives into a swimming pool with all of his clothes on yeah that that's yeah. Oliver Reed yeah. um so yeah this is a weird like slapstick kind of take on Jackal and Hyde it's, I need people to understand it's got fucking Looney Tunes sound effects when people like walk through rooms and stuff like zoop, yeah like because like and like canon i mean canon released some weird horror that like i think motel hell is canon uh texas chainsaw 2 i believe is canon um and they also are like movies that it's like horror but there is a lot of weird comedy elements to it so this isn't like too far off from that except it is like a little bit more cartoony than any of those movies it's very cartoony and it's like for like 20 or 30 minutes, it's like borderline charming where you're like, I didn't expect it to be what it is. And so it's kind of fun and funny to watch it and like see it unfold and figure out like, what are we really doing here? And like Reed, I don't know, is weird in this. He's not like bad in it, but he's not who I go to for like, we need a zany, goofy comedy character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and but after about a half hour, it gets pretty tiring. It, it's kind of an exhausting movie to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, I was just like ready for it to end yeah. by by the end of it, and I was just like, okay, let's yeah. let's finish this. Yeah, but it's like very much an Oliver Reed character at the end of the day, too, right? It's like anytime he finally becomes good looking, he becomes a, a fucking monster maniac that wants to like beat and murder yeah, women. Yeah, he just starts like grabbing women, yeah. and when they don't like him, he just murders them. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, like that's like, the thing. Seems like, like you relate, you relate most to the Mister yeah. Hype part of this character. Yeah, it's like I mean, this isn't like far off from like some men that exist out there. So yeah, sure. Right. Um, in 1983, he was in The Sting 2. Did not know there was a sequel to The Sting. Yes, there is. Uh, he was also in Fannie Mae, a story about a woman who is kind of forced into prostitution. Oh, uh, Fannie Hill. But yeah, wild. That yep. is a weird story. What did I say? Fannie Mae, I think, which is uh, maybe like, uh, <laughs> is that like a loan company? It's the loan company. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Um, and then he's in Spasms with Peter Fonda. Fucking Spasms, y'all. Sp- I need y'all to know about Spasms. Um, I'm so happy we watched we watch this movie because uh, I think it was 80s Horror Doc was uh, their Instagram page, like, also posted about this okay. and while we were, like, getting ready to do all of our read stuff. And I'm like, oh, th- I feel like this is a sign that we do need to watch this movie. And it is about, like, a, a snake devil god thing it's about a cult that worships a snake god that is a real snake that bit this guy before the movie ever started and now he's trying to find it again yeah because he has some like psychic connection with the snake and he can like feel when it's like about to kill people essentially and so he wants to like find some way to break this connection so he brings the snake to america and it just starts murdering people 
psychic snakes, snake cults, Oliver yeah. Reed being real weird with Peter Fonda. Like, yeah, there's some crazy effects. Like when people get bit by this snake, oh, yeah. like their skin just starts like bulging up and then they just start like kind of shooting blood and yeah. liquids out of them. It's yeah. like pretty gross effects, actually. I kind of um, loved this movie. I mean, it's like full on B movie territory, oh, but it, in, in a very yeah. entertaining way, in my opinion. I really liked this movie, too. It's just like Oliver Reed versus Snake. It's pretty yeah. hilarious. Uh, so a thing this movie brings up is that one of the interviews I was watching, um, apparently he, this was like a big deal, I guess, at this time in England, which was that like a lot of English actors ended up moving to the United States mm. because taxes were so, like, I think like property taxes or something mm. were so high that it was like very expensive to continue having a movie career if you were still just living in, mm-hmm. um, in England. And he like basically like made a big point of staying and I remember that yeah and not just staying but staying in this like big fucking old estate that he had bought mm-hmm. which ended up becoming this extremely expensive home to maintain and continue living in and that is why he ends up having this big period in his career of just back to back to back Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype spasms like anybody that will give him a just paycheck because pay he's just house. trying to maintain this fucking crazy That's huge wild. place that he that he owns yeah man i love that english pride though it's yeah. so funny yeah because yeah. i i think i saw a couple of quotes about him just being like like fuck i want to like do movies in england i want to live in england yeah. and i'm like yeah fair yeah. i wouldn't want to live in america if i didn't <laughs> have to either yeah, spasms big recommend from spasms, us. Love spasms super fun yeah really really dug it um He's then in a movie called Two of a Kind, starring John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, with, and it also has Ooh, Charles Durning Charles in it. Love. Wait, I didn't even know that Travolta and Olivia Newton-John did anything other than Grease together. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. When God decides to destroy Earth, four angels aim to redeem mankind through a young man and a woman with their own troubles. Jesus fucking Christ. I did not, I did not know Weird. that was going to be what a movie called Two of a Kind yep. was about. Uh, in 1986, he is in the movie Castaway, not, you know, Castaway, the Tom Hanks one. Different, different Castaway. <laughs> different Castaway. Um, and he's in it with Amanda Donahue, who I love from a different Ken Russell movie, Lair of the White Worm. Oh, I haven't seen that uh, yet. She is the lead in it. And we, yeah, we have to watch it again because I yeah. want to show it to you so bad. But she's like the fucking villain in it. Okay. And she's so good yeah. and like hot and evil. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, cool. I'm glad that these two weird Russell people are in a movie together. <laughs> um, but this is essentially about like... Like a woman who uh, decides to spend a year on a deserted island with this like middle-aged uh, misogynist man, played by Oliver Reed. Yeah, another movie where you're like, yeah, I, yep. I get what you liked about this. Yep. Uh, he is then in a movie called Captive, uh, about the daughter of an international tycoon who is kidnapped by a trio of abductors who seek to mold her to their lifestyle. Okay. Um, and then he is in the Misfit Brigade, which we watched uh, for David Patrick, our Kelly? David Patrick Kelly episode. This is one of his movies. Oliver Reed kind of just shows up for like the last five minutes. He's like um, a general or something, right? Yeah. I also feel bad. Like you can like really tell that he's like drinking heavily at this period of time, yeah. too, because he just like. His, uh, he's like really red in the face all the time. Yeah. He like looks much older. Like, pe- like I looked it up when we watched Spasms because yeah. he and Peter Fonda are about two years apart, and he looks like twenty years older than totally. Peter Fonda. Yeah, it's absolutely. wild yeah. and like really sad yes. ultimately too. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, there. I mean, there was an interview I found where I mean, he is just like he's like. There are quite a few interviews where, sadly, he is like shit house drunk during the interview. Yeah, and one of them, like, I've never seen him looking like this. Like he he. I, I don't mean to say this. Uh, this is going to come off really bad, but like he looks like he's in a fat suit in this interview, mm. which is like a, a weird thing to to say about it. But like he just looks like he's like bloated. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it's very sad. Um, in 1987, he's in the movie Master of Dragonard Hill. <laughs> okay. Uh, which uh, is actually about like slave colonies in oh. the Caribbean. Apologies uh, for actually laughing. sounds kind of interesting and I would like to watch it. Um, he's in an action thriller called Rage to Kill. What a great fucking title, great Rage name. to Kill. He's then in the movie called Gore. Uh, American professor uh, is transported via magical ring to the planet Gore, where he must help an oppressed country overthrow its evil king and his barbarian henchmen. The screenshot I saw from this looks like he's in like a space fantasy movie, and yeah. it really made me want to watch Oliver Reed in the space oh, fantasy of movie. Yeah. Uh, in 1988, he is in The Adventures of Baron Munchausen with Eric Idle. You know what? Uh, I've seen this movie, actually, but I don't yeah, remember him in it. It's uh, directed by Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he is then in the movie Captive Rage uh, about an innocent group of college girls who becomes the pawn in a deadly game of revenge when a South American cocaine baron retaliates against a chief of an American intelligence agency for jailing his son on drug charges. Okay, wild plot description. A lot of shit going would on watch. there. Um, he's then in the House of Usher, which I would really like to watch, which is an adaptation of um, Edgar Allan Poe's story. Mm. Um, and then in 1989, he's in The Return of the Musketeers, which I didn't realize there was such a big time gap uh, between these Musketeers movies. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, all of the main cast came back for yeah, it. It's interesting to me that, that, you know, that's like an early version of a franchise of these, like, I Musketeers know. movies. Uh, he's then in the Treasure Island TV movie with Charlton Heston and Christian Bale. Oh, must have been uh, child actor Christian Bale. Yeah. Right? yeah. Baby Bale. Baby Bale. Uh, then we get to his career in the 90s. Uh, he's in an action thriller called Hired to Kill, a comedy called Panama Sugar, which uh-huh. is a Panama, great name. Yeah, Panama Sugar. It sounds like probably what he was doing in addition to drinking all the time. <laughs> And then he was in a movie called The Revenger. Yeah, I wanted to watch this one just based on that wonderful title. It's a really great title, uh, which I'm like looking at the plot description, which is like total nonsense. <laughs> um, in 1991, he's in The Pit and the Pendulum, which is directed by uh, Stuart Gordon and stars Lance Henriksen and Jeffrey Combs. Fuck yeah. These are all names that we really love in this house. Yeah. We love us some Stuart Gordon. We really like Lance Henriksen and we love Jeffrey. Jeffrey Combs. I know. I think he just had a birthday like last week. Jeffrey Combs? Yeah. Hell yeah. Happy birthday, Jeff. Yeah. Love him so much. Yeah. we're And uh, Pit in the Pendulum was pretty good. I liked this movie. Yeah. It's weird. I, I It kind of drags uh, towards the end a little bit for me. I was like ready for it to just like wrap up. <laughs> uh, but overall, like it, it's pretty fun and interesting. I think like it's a little hard when I watch like witch trial things because yeah. I, I mean like just as someone who like has studied that and it's like hard, especially when it's like Gordon who like is trying to have like a fun time yeah. while he's also dealing with serious material. Cause yeah. I'm like, Oh, some of this is like really hard. Where yeah, it's like 
these are real things that happen to real people. Gordon movies always have like kind of a sense of humor about them, right? They're yeah. always like a little bit inherently silly. And so, yeah, yeah I, I could see that maybe being a little bit of a problem for you in here in this one in um, particular. But yeah, I mean, there's like so much to like in it and people are giving crazy performances. Lance Henriksen is giving a wild performance. He's wild in this movie. Uh, and then Oliver Reed shows up for one scene one. as the Cardinal. So he's totally dressed in red. He comes on set essentially and just like chugs a couple glasses of wine. He, uh, in my opinion, he appears to be drunk while performing yeah. in this movie. He's doing a he, Italian accent? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The second he walks on screen, he pulls a flask out and starts drinking from it. Yeah. And I I mean, I don't know. I could be telling tales at a school, but seems like he may just actually have a flask with him that he's actually drinking from on camera. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I think that is that he just seems like a person that would be like, why would I drink fake stuff? Like, just <laughs> yeah, give yeah. me alcohol yeah. and I'll drink it. <laughs> yeah. Because they do make the joke of the Cardinal that he's like hammered. Like they, they, yeah. they make that part of the joke For of it. For sure. Um, yeah, this is interesting because it's like uh, you were telling me about the Poe story that this is adapted from, and yeah. this is certainly like a big expansion of that story. But I also think it may be like kind of a few different Poe stories like in the mix here. I'm pretty sure there's a Poe story where they like basically bury a guy in a yeah. wall, which they end up doing to which Reed's character. makes sense to me just because Pit and the Pendulum is like such a short story. And as far as I know, you are just in the pit right, the right. whole time. So it's this adds much more about like, you know, the religious persecution of people and the witch trials yeah. and like all this other stuff. I mean, to some extent, it's like a similar story to the devils. Um, if you think about yeah. like kind of the overall plot of what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And then we get to uh, in 1992, he does a movie called Severed Ties. Uh, when a regeneration experiment on his severed arm grows a deadly reptilian creature instead of a limb, what? a mad scientist uses the serum on homeless crippled veterans to create an army and get his research back from his evil mother. Okay, that's uh, instantly going what on my watch the list. fuck? Yeah. That is a fucking crazy plot. Also, this is a real movie that he was in after this. Oliver 2, let's twist again. What? <laughs> and it is a TV movie with Jeremy Irons, Michael Payne, Stephen Fry, and Alan Cummings. That is insane. Let's, let's twist, twist again. again. That's the funniest shit I've oh ever heard. Oh, my God. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of his career in the 90s is a lot of, like, small roles, biopics, and, like, kind of international projects that, like, didn't have a ton of information. Yeah. Um, and he, he dies in 1999, but has a few other things released. Um, in 2000, he played Proximo in Ridley Scott's Gladiator. Yeah. Um, and he died halfway through filming, and it cost the company $3 million to recreate his face so he could appear in the scenes he still had left to shoot. So I watched a couple videos about this, and okay. they're, it's pretty wild, actually, especially when you think about, like, 1999, like, CGI and I stuff. I was, like, trying to wonder, like, because that now is still, like, weird right. technology. So, like, I mean, I don't know how many scenes they did this for, but the scene that everybody uses to demonstrate this is there's, like, a scene in a GL cell where Proximo is in, like, a jail cell mm -hmm. and um whatever his name's character maximus or whatever is yeah. maybe on the other side and they're having a conversation through it and so it's like a very brief scene for a lot of the scene they have his face kind of like in shadow but mm -hmm. then there is he kind of like looks up from shadow and it's just in close up uh while talking to maximus and has like maybe one line 
and then like quickly turns and walks away. And they showed how they took his performance from like two other scenes and sort of like turned it into his face for just this moment. Wild. And and I guess like once they once you know that that's what it is, you can tell. But I honestly think it's a pretty fucking great effect for like 1999. That's cool. It looks pretty impressive. But he is pretty good in his like I rewatched some of his scenes from this movie and you know he actually looks almost like a different person. He's like so, you know, I don't know, just maybe damaged from mm. a life of drinking and stuff, but he, he like yeah. doesn't even totally look like himself, but he's good in it. He's like he's really good in his scenes in this movie. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean he he basically died drinking on the set of this movie. Yeah. It's it's like really sad. Yeah. Um Apparently, he and Russell Crowe didn't get along during the making of the movie. Yeah, you don't say two famously angry drunks didn't get along <laughs> with each other on a movie. I read that and I was just like, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems like he hated everyone. Like yeah. in one of those interviews that we looked at, he like was like, let me list the actors I respect. And it's like three actors. He listed actors. three names, yeah. Uh, there's a quote I found from him where he was just talking talking about Jack Nicholson and calling him like a midget and I'm like what Didn't the he call him, fuck like a bald midget he calls him or something a bald like that midget. Yeah. Like, which was is his words by the way yeah yeah um the last role that he apparently was uh had was a Greek mythology adaptation of Orpheus and uh Eurydice Eurydice's I'm not sure how to say that one actually terrible with with Eurydice names. yeah Eurydice yeah um, so on May 2nd, 1999, in Valletta, Malta, uh, Oliver Reed died of a heart attack. Yeah, that's like the official cause of death. Uh, the story about his death, like the, it's kind of like seems like an urban legend yeah, it's almost. Like a, it, it's like a myth at this point, I uh, guess. But the one particular one I found, and again, who knows if it's actually true? They say he died after downing three bottles of Captain Morgan's, uh, eight bottles of German beer, and numerous doubles of whiskey, Hennessy, cogn- cognac, and. Uh, he apparently beat five much younger Royal Navy sailors at arm wrestling. Right. It was supposedly an arm wrestling contest yes. and, and drinking contest, obviously. Um, his bar bill for the final lunchtime totaled uh, 270 Maltese Lira, which equals about $594 today. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, the public house in Malta in which he died uh, was renamed Ollie's Last Pub in his memory. Well, that's kind of cute. But also, like, what a sad thing to name your pub after. Yeah. And, like, there's a, you know, some people talked about his death. um, And apparently, like, uh, one of his co-stars, Amid uh, Jalil, um, said that he... Jalili. Yeah. Jalili, yeah. Yeah. um, He actually recounted that uh, Reed hadn't had a drink for months before filming started. Mm. Mm. Um, And so, you know... He was like, everyone like said he went the way he wanted, but that's not true. It was very tragic. He was in an Irish bar and was pressured into a drinking competition. He should have just left, but he didn't, uh, which, <sighs> yeah. you know, doesn't really seem like Oliver Reed's style to back down no. uh, from yeah. something that's, like that. That's a man with a problem and a bunch of yeah. people that, uh, you know, he just didn't need to be around in that moment. Um, yeah, and you know his. Uh, although he like had uh, a lot of interesting roles throughout his career, um, you know his love of fighting and alcohol did uh, 
make him, uh, you know, miss out on certain opportunities. Apparently, he was strongly considered to play James Bond. Oh, wow. Uh, and just knowing the issues he had, it didn't seem like they could do it. Um, in a... Uh, in a new biography about the star, um, they found a letter from Bond mastermind Albert R. Broccoli uh, outlining how close he came to replacing Sean Connery in the role. He wrote, With Reed, we would have had a far greater problem to destroy his image and remold him as James Bond. We just didn't have the time or money to do yeah, that. This, yeah, this is the story that I always hear about him. Everybody yeah. just was like... We know what's going on. You fucking publicly fight and drink and, you know. Yeah. And it's just, like, not the, quote, refined Bond image that they wanted. Um, He also declined roles in The Sting and Jaws because he didn't want to relocate to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Both of these roles were taken by fellow British Hellraiser Robert Shaw. Yeah. Uh, so interesting to think of him being the Robert Shaw in those movies I, I, I can see that, actually, which is interesting. Um, uh, in addition to acting, Reed released several singles in, uh, you know, popular music vein. Uh, oh, I did not know that. I'm going to look these up immediately. Limited success. Uh, uh-huh. One is called Wild One and Lonely for a Girl. Uh-huh. Um I also found this. Uh, he never forgot his hammer roots. After hitting the big time, he went back to pay homage to his horror beginnings to narrate the full hammer retrospective, a reminder that his voice was the one quality the English critics admired about him. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I also found this like interesting quote about him, too, where he just says, um, let's face it, there has to be somebody like me around. So the press can't write about fruits in paisley shirts. Jesus. Uh, they like somebody like Richard Harris or myself, somebody who's a boozer and gets in fights and is co- colorful as hell. Yeah, I in one of the interviews I found with him where he talked about his dyslexia pretty openly, um, the interviewer asked him about all of his fighting and drinking. And, yeah. and he basically said, like, look, I'm an entertainer. Would you be mad at a writer if they were writing? No. Yeah. Why are you criticizing me for entertaining? Yeah. Like, was essentially his position on, like, w- how he lived yeah. his life. Yeah, it's like, he, so he was always acting. It's, it's like, a yeah. very interesting, uh, yeah. I, I'd be remiss if we finished this episode without giving what I think may be one of the greatest quotes by an actor ever. Uh, and again, not to fully make fun of the man, but I just think this is incredible that this is, of course, a thing that Oliver Reed mm-hmm. said at some point. My only regret, is that I didn't drink every pub dry and sleep with every woman on the planet. Yep. That sums up that man, I think, probably better than anything else. Yeah, and there's so many stories you can find about him. There's some I just didn't include because, like, honestly, they were, like, funny but mostly sad. And I was like, ugh, this is, like, I don't know. This is just too much. This is just a a person that is struggling. Uh, I mean, if you type Oliver Reed's name into YouTube, the first thing it's going to autocomplete for you is Oliver Reed drunk because there were so many times that he on live television was just straight up hammered. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he is, is a great performer. He's a fucking fantastic actor. I love watching him in movies. I love him in the Ken Russell stuff. I think some of the really B grade stuff like spasms is really great. He's really fun in, He's a good hammer performer. Yeah. Like he stands you and know. like takes it, you know, 
I takes most of it seriously. Yeah. I think I like he's one of those actors that seems to like whatever the role he's like giving it his full Oliver Reed like gravitas, right. which I respect very much. Uh, when I see people just like, yeah, I'm gonna give it my all no matter what shitty movie this is. Yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I really greatly enjoyed like going down this path and watching a few yeah. more of his roles, getting to see him younger when he was a little more charming leading man and stuff. Yes. It was yeah. fun. Um, so uh, a couple sources I found. Uh, I found an interview on RogerEbert.com, uh, TheRake.com had some interesting stories about Oliver Reed. Uh, Free Library also had uh, some interviews with him, as well as uh, DangerousMinds.net. Um, so uh, lots of interesting information about him out there. Yeah. And all yeah, right. Um, that's, that's Ollie. That's Ollie. Ollie Reed. Um, you want to do some like plugs and things? Are there sure. things you want people to find? Uh, yeah, I am Tori Potenza on things. You can follow me on Instagram. Uh, I post like horror movie stills and facts, and I do like horror movie and uh, book pairings on there as well. I love those. Those um, are really fun. Yeah. You can also, uh, I just ha- had a movie, John piece come out uh, in my Woman Who Kills series. I wrote about Julia from Hellraiser, yeah, one you- of my favorite uh, bad bitches out there. A lot of good compliments on that too, which is cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, you can check that stuff out. Yeah. Um, and you can find me online at Philadelphia. That's with an F. Um, we're on moviejohn.com. That's J A W N. Check out their Patreon if you're listening. Um, and I think that'll do it for us, right? Yeah. Buzz, buzz. Buzz.